بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والحمد لله رب العالمين وسبحان الله العلي العظيم ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأن محمدا عبده ورسوله خاتم الرسل والأنبياء أجمعين المرسل رحمة للعالمين سبحان الله نؤمن به ونستعينه ونستهديه ونستجيره فإنه من هدى الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه ومن تبعه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين سبحان الله تدي happens to be the Jum'ah that occurs on the first day of Eid Al-Adha often referred to as the Big Eid Eid that marks so much in Islam and Islamic history and Islamic theology and morality of course the big Eid always follows the day of Arafah the day in which Muslims stand at the Mount of Arafah a mount named Arafah because it is the mountain where Muslims during pilgrimage acknowledge their sins and confess their sins before God and truly repent. And on that mount during pilgrimage, they open up a new chapter in their lives. they promise or they take a vow to change whatever they've done in the past that was wrong and to start a new chapter. That in every sense, in terms of their intention, must be a chapter very different than whatever led them away from God in the past. Yom Arafah, the day of Arafah, on the mountain of Arafah, is perhaps the most important day in Hajj. And then followed by Eid al-Adha, or the Eid of Sacrifice, or the Big Eid, as is often referred to. Which is Eid that is marked 
by its social morality in the Eid families, communities, neighborhoods are supposed to come together to mend their relationships and to make a renewed vow towards solidarity, brotherhood, and love, love for each other. But integral to that is that the whole purpose of the Said is designed so that those who do not have are taken care by those who do have. The whole thrust of the Big Eid is that the less fortunate would share in the wealth and to feel like insiders. And in the same way that we stand at the Mount of Arafah without differences as to class or race or ethnicity, we stand in the Mount of Arafah also without differences as to gender between man and woman. That same ethic is replicated in the Eid or in the Eid al-Adha in the societies, communities, families are supposed to make every effort to dissolve whatever different, whatever divides them, especially poverty, richness, wealth, classes, and ethnicities and race. There's something else that is very distinctive about the day of Arafah and the big Eid, the Eid al-Adha. As Muslims, we are quite remiss when that occasion comes around and the Eid comes around and we do not remind ourselves of one of the most important moments in Islamic history. And that is the Prophet Salam's final pilgrimage in the last year in the last Hajj of the Prophet the Prophet Muhammad stood on the Mount of Arafah and on that Mount he delivered 
one even can't find the proper word for it, but delivered a core sermon, which became the last sermon that he delivers at that scale, at least, where he basically says that this might be the last sermon I deliver on this mount on a day like this. And it was, in fact, the last sermon because he died in the next year. And for Muslims, we know, we believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given all the indications to the Prophet that it is time to wrap up his message, to sum it up. If you will, to give Muslims his last will and testament before he leaves this world and Muslims are on their own without their prophet in their midst. I cannot imagine that the day of Arafah would come around which, as we said, is followed by the Eid. Without Muslims reminding themselves of the last will and testament of their Prophet. As the Prophet Muhammad prepares to leave this world, what is his testament to Muslims? What does he leave them with? What are the most critical points that he emphasizes for Muslims? I don't have time to go through the entire khutbah, although it's not a very long khutbah, but it would take more time than what, it, than what we have. But I will focus on some of the most essential points in the Prophet's last sermon and last testament on the Mount of Arafah. Among those, those most basic and critical points, Ya ayyuhal nas, inna dima'akum وَأَمْوَالَكُمْ حَرَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ إِلَىٰ أَنْ تَلْقَوْ رَبَّكُمْ كَحُرْمَةِ يَوْمِكُمْ هَذَا فِي شَهْرِكُمْ هَذَا فِي بَلَدِكُمْ هَذَا أَلَا هَلْ بَلَّغْتَ اللَّهُمْ مَشْهَدْ What does the Prophet ﷺ choose to emphasize as he prepares to leave this world and the legacy that he's going to leave Muslims with? Point number one is to remind Muslims of a very basic moral principle. And that is the inviolability, the sanctity, 
the holiness, the sacredness of human blood, meaning human life. The Prophet tells Muslims, my will to you is that you protect and honor one, one another's lives, that you don't spill your own blood, you don't slaughter each other, you don't kill each other. But in fact, that the sanctity of Muslim blood and indeed human blood and sanctity of human life is like the sanctity of Mecca and the sanctity of the month of Dhul Hijjah, a month that Muslims make every effort to come closer to God to honor the sanctities and the rights of God. Beyond that, the Prophet ﷺ reminds Muslims, Muslims are brothers and sisters. They are one people. It is incomprehensible, unacceptable that Muslims functioned as if separate bodies where they do not feel for one another and are not connected to one, one another spiritually and emotionally. The Prophet ﷺ reminds Muslims, not only is their blood sacred, not only is the bond between them one of brotherhood and immoral commitment to one another, but it is an absolute imperative that they respect the rights of one another and honor one another in every sense. It is remarkable that the Prophet ﷺ closes that sermon with an ethical principle that was truly for his time remarkably profound and miraculous. I mean, there's no other way to put it. All of you إِنَّ رَبَّكُمْ وَاحِدٌ وَإِنَّ أَبَاكُمْ وَاحِدٌ كُلُّكُمْ لِآدَمُ وَآدَمُ مِنْ تُرَابٌ لا فرق بين عربي وعجمي إلا بالتقوى. All of you are from one God. All of you descended from the same lineage, Adam and Eve. 
And there is no difference between one race and another or one ethnicity and another before God. So in other words, you can't discriminate on the base of race. So what is that last sermon? What is the will and testament of the Prophet Honor life. He also talks about the rights of women, which is very fascinating, but I'm not going to focus on that today. The value of life, the bond between Muslims, the rights of Muslims, and the imperative of respecting not just the rights of Muslims, but the rights of all human beings, because that is core in the Quran and in the Prophet's teachings. And a clear statement against the evils of ethnocentrism and racism. For Yawm Arafah to come, the day of the mount to come, and we Muslims often supplicate God in the well-known supplication, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik. God, we answer your call, we answer your call. So many people go to Eid prayers and they do the supplication. The Imams and Eid prayers stand there and they give the khutbahs and whatever they choose to give it on. Eid after Eid comes in our life and leaves. But without the basic ethics of what this is all for, without remembering the sanctity of life and the sanctity of blood, without remembering that Mecca and Medina have a very special place and that the spilling of blood in Mecca and Medina is a horrendous evil. But even more, that the committing of injustice in Mecca and Medina is the barometer for the entire Muslim Ummah. If Mecca and Medina do not reflect God's ethics and morality, if Mecca and Medina are places in which there is injustice and rights are violated, and life is not sanctified, and blood is not honored and respected, then don't expect Allah to be pleased with this ummah. The bonds of brotherhood and the clear condemnation of racism and ethnocentrism as virulent diseases that tear the fabric of society apart when that disease overcomes a society. Every day of Arafah, 
every year, in every Eid, not only must we remind ourselves of these lessons, but this is what our khutbahs should be about. This is what we should teach our children. It should become elementary in Islam. Yawm Arafah came, Eid came, and they come every year to our children, to our sons and daughters, to our young people, to our older people. Do you know what the last testament and sermon of the Prophet was about? Do you know what the Prophet taught us is the yardstick to measure whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with this ummah or not pleased with this ummah. How are we doing on the issue of racism and ethnocentrism? How are we doing on the issue of the sacredness of life and blood? How are we doing on the issue of social justice and equity? How are we doing on the issue of justice in the holy sites of Mecca and Medina and Jerusalem? And Jerusalem. And if we collectively feel that we're not doing that well, then it is a state of emergency. Then it is a true state of emergency. وسبحان الله الذي انعم علينا بنعمه الاسلام ونصلي ونسلم ونبارك على محمد وعلى اله واصحابه وتبعه باحسان الى يوم الدين When the human body is infected with a virus and realizes it's ill, it goes in a protective mode that if everything works the way it's supposed to work, that develops a fever. And everything in this human body communicates that it is in a state of an emergency responding to an imminent threat. When Muslims revisit the testament of the Prophet ﷺ in Hajjat al-Wada, and they see that the Prophet ﷺ emphasized our unity, emphasize the sacredness of blood, 
the core principle of justice. The Prophet didn't emphasize obedience to unjust oligarchs. The Prophet ﷺ didn't emphasize stability and order, emphasized core moral principles, emphasized the evilness of racism and ethnocentrism and classism. Either the Muslim Ummah reacts to this by believing that their salvation can lie in formulaic ritualism. So in other words, you decide to solve this problem by supplicating to God, by saying X number of subhanallahs and X number of Allahu Akbars and X number of alhamdulillahs. Or an ummah can actually react by going in a defensive mode, by emergency measures where you confront the disease and the illness head on. The first reaction goes nowhere and leads to nothing. As long as the testament of the Prophet ﷺ was betrayed, no amount of supplication and no amount of prayer is going to solve the problem. The key to solving the problem is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes in the Quran. When Allah teaches us not to cast ourselves unto ruin. And Allah teaches us that in order not to cast ourselves, Allah makes very clear in the Quran that casting ourselves unto ruin occurs, happens, when we no longer put our resources in the service of our moral causes. In other words, we don't spend in the way of God, as Muslims put it. Adam al-infaq fi sabilillah. And in fact, spending in the way of God is putting your resources where your just causes are. If you are ill and you decide to spend your money rather than spend your money on doctors and medicine, you decide to spend your money on nice looking clothes, expensive perfumes, maybe redecorating your bed or your, your hospital room. You're not spending money, you're not spending resources in a way that responds, reasonably responds to the actual threat. This is exactly how Muslims are today. 
It is like we are ill and we know we're ill, but we spend our resources on everything but what actually matters. And that is to spend resources on understanding, uh, on studying and understanding what it will take to restore the sacredness of life among Muslims, to bring back Muslim unity, to fight off the evils of racism and ethnocentrism and classism. There is no honoring the day of Arafah and the annual recurring Eid al-Adha without fully studying the Prophet's last will and testament. Imagine in the midst of this, imagine that in the midst of this, this Eid confronts us with realities that are truly odd. There are major plans to expand the holy site in Mecca. But these major plans involve destroying what remains of the historic sites of the Prophet and the companions in Mecca. Why is Saudi, expanding, Saudi Arabia expanding the holy sites? For profit, for money. Pilgrimage is a major source of income for Saudi Arabia after oil. A people without a history are a people without a future. In the same way that Yom Arafah comes along and Eid al-Adha comes along and we no longer study the last will and testament of the Prophet, it is because we have lost the will to honor our history and the respect for history. When in order to bring in top dollar, you continue what you've been doing for nearly a century now, and that is destroying and erasing holy sites. We have a major problem. Recently, a prominent member of the Saudi ruling family, his name is Khalid bin Bandar, who is appointed as an ambassador, the Saudi ambassador to UK. In a recent interview with a BBC British journal, journalist called Frank Gardner, this is very recent, right before the day of Arafah and before Eid al-Adha. Khalid bin Bandar in his interview, Saudi ambassador to the UK, bragged 
The journalist noticed that Khaled bin Bandar has a full bar at, at home. Has a bar full of all types of alcoholic beverages. So Frank Gardner asked Khaled bin Bandar, I notice you have a very extensive bar. And Khaled bin Bandar said, yes, of course, that's normal. Frank Gardner asked him whether he misses his bar when he goes back to Saudi Arabia. And according to Khaled bin Bandar, no, because he has a bar in Saudi Arabia. When we get to the point, to the family that is supposed to be the guardian of the holy, two holy sites, openly flouting the consumption of alcohol, openly flouting their lack of respect for Islamic history, Islamic values, Islamic laws, and they remain the custodians of the two holy sites. At what point do we say Al Saud are no longer the legitimate custodians of the two holy sites because they've done everything to defile it, to dishonor it? To violate it. Recently, I saw a documentary, a Vice Channel documentary, I saw it on HBO called China's Vanishing Muslims. Because I grew up studying the prophets last will and testament when the prophet said you all, all Muslims are like brothers and sisters feeling for one another empathizing reacting in a single mode as if one body when I see a documentary about China's vanishing Muslims. Everyone that hears this khutbah should watch this documentary. The Muslims of China cannot go to a mosque without ending up in a concentration camp. Cannot be seen reading Quran without ending up in a concentration camp. Cannot refuse to eat pork without ending in a concentration camp cannot refrain from drinking alcohol without ending up in a concentration camp, cannot be heard saying the Shahada without ending up in a concentration camp. And it is clear that the Chinese government has a plan to eradicate Islam completely among the Uyghur and the Khazar Muslims, the, um, the other major group, um, no, 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 um, anyway, I'm blanking off. But it is clear that the Chinese government has a plan to completely erase Islam among native Chinese in China within one generation. Thousands upon thousands of children are taken from their parents 
and raised in what they called kindergartens, which is basically concentration camps for children that brainwash them ideologically and erase Islam from their consciousness. And when you remember that Muslim countries, one after another, went and visited China to sign a statement supporting the Chinese government in what they are doing, the Holocaust they are perpetuating against Chinese Muslims, and you remember that, and then that you remember that the government that is the custodian of the two holy sites, the Saudi government that is supposed to be the leader of the Muslim world, supported the Chinese government, then you say, what Mount Arafah sermon? And what Eid? Just <clears throat> as we prepared to meet this new Eid, we are visited with this news item. 900 Jewish settlers storm Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. It has become, since Trump has come to power, it has become a regular common occurrence for Israeli police to protect Israeli Jewish settlers to afford them military protection as they storm and violate the sanctity of the Aqsa Mosque. And this happens all the time. And as we prepare to meet Eid al-Adha, 900 Jewish settlers stormed the Aqsa Mosque again, protected by Israeli police. And what is the reaction? of the custodian of the two holy sites? The same family that brags about their alcohol collection through their British representative? Absolutely nothing. Not a peep. In fact, there was more outrage heard from Saudi Arabia, from the Emirat, from Egypt, from Muslims all around the world, there was more outrage about the Turkish government turning Hagia Sophia into a mosque than there was or than there is about the continuing violation of the sanctity of the Aqsa Mosque. So the Aqsa Mosque is violated. The historical sites in Mecca are destroyed so that more meridians and holiday inns and Sheratons and Hiltons can be built. The Muslims of China perish in concentration camps. A lot of times people come and say, okay, well, now you've depressed us. What is the solution? You can't tell us all these problems without telling us the solution. 
And the solution is very simple, and I've already said it. When someone is ill, they spend their money on doctors and medicine. If that ill person spends their money on things other than doctors and medicines, then they qualify as insane, as mentally incompetent. And the solution is, for all this wealth that Muslims have, Muslims are among the richest groups on the face of the earth, to be spent on Islamic causes. We can change the face of the world. If we spent money just on supporting political candidates, just if Muslims in the United States spent money on supporting political candidates who serve Islamic causes or serve just causes, we would change the face of the world. If we spent money on Islamic educational institutions and communication enterprises of communications and public relations, we would change the face of the world. We don't need to spend money on weapons. We don't need to buy more killing devices, devices of murder and mayhem. We need to spend money on education and information and political leveraging. In short, the solution is with the wealthy. As has always been in every historical period, humanity has gone through. It is the wealthy that make the difference as to what type of causes get supported and what type of causes get defeated. And if your wealthy are corrupt and immoral, that tarnishes in the entire society. Because the resources become funneled into immoral purposes and unethical purposes. Every year, the day of Arafah comes, and Eid al-Adha comes, revisit the Prophet's last will and testament. If Muslims had their act together, this will and testament would be taught to every Muslim child Every Muslim child would know the will and testament, the last will and testament of the Prophet like the, like the Constitution is taught in American schools. It would become an integral part of our consciousness. No one, no Muslim would face God without 
having studied the will, last will and testament of the Prophet every year, on every day of Arafah, and in preparation for every big Eid. Is that too much to ask? Is it too much to ask that we actually listen to what our Prophet told us? Because if it is, I don't know in what sense we're Muslims. Allahumma khfir lana. Allahumma afu anna. Allahumma arhamna ya Rabb. Allahumma hadina li akraba min hadha rashada. Wansur al-Islam wa aizd al-Muslimin ya Rabb al-Alameen. Allah forgive our sins. Grant us greater understanding and piety. Bring us closer to you. Make us among those who love you and are loved by you, Ya Allah. Make us remember the teachings and the lessons of the Prophet always in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. Welcome, Salah.